Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. This week we are very fortunate to be joined by Vanguard Tactics' very own Stephen Box, who's going to break down Blood Angels for us. Um, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Nanavati, who is one of the best 40k players in the world, which I'm sure all of you know, but I'm just going to talk about how he's won Adepticon multiple times, won the ITC overall, won LVO, won, well, basically he's won everything, so I, I don't need to go any, on any further. Um, <clears throat> as always, you can find us on the Frontline Gaming Network, so... If you guys haven't checked that out, you definitely should. There's four really high-quality podcasts on there with a ton of great players. It's definitely worth checking out. So again, check us out on the Frontline Gaming Network. Uh, Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce us to Steven, and let's let's go ahead and dive into this Blood Angel stuff and talk about Smashing Face. Yeah, so Steven Box is one of the better-known players over across the pond in the UK. Uh, he recently was the captain of one of the UN teams over at ETC, back when it was called ETC. Uh, and he's been playing uh, a lot of really competitive stuff lately and doing really well with it, uh, namely this Blood Angel we're about to talk about. He also has his own channel, Vanguard Tactics, on YouTube, which is super successful. And he uh, he's brought light to a lot of controversial topics involving cheating and fair play and sportsmanship and all that stuff. So he's quite the figurehead in the 40K community, so I'm really excited to have him on. How are you doing tonight, Steve? Oh, guys, I'm doing brilliant, and thanks so much for having me back on again. Yeah, we actually did a bonus episode a while back. Uh, I believe it was public, so if you missed it, go back and find it. Uh, it we cover uh, an experience that Stephen had against someone uh, at the LGT, maybe this is back in September, and we used that as a, as a gateway to talk about cheating and how to deal with it in the 40K community and what we need to do to step up as people. Uh, within the community so it's a really awesome listen highly recommend it but today we are here to talk about blood angels so steven why don't you tell us a little about your blood angel list which you just took to a gt and one with and an rtt a 50 person rtt i don't even know how that exists yeah, i don't know what that is this is uk stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean the uh i obviously took blood angels to the lvo as well and that was my first ever event with them um and originally i was going to take eldar but after phoenix no, not Phoenix. Psychic Awakening came out for them. Um, and I, I just started playing around with a few different units. I had an army based on what I already had. Started to put some models down. And I thought, actually, these guys have got some real um, sort of duality. They can fulfill many roles. Um, extremely exciting list to play. Um, and also I thought, okay, well, if, I tell, if I'm taking them across the pond, they fit in my, you know, hand luggage much easier than, you know, nine different grav tanks do from Eldar so, and Shining Spears. So I thought, yeah, actually, let's take Blood Angels and let's see what I can do. Um, the LVO is a huge learning curve for me with the list. Um, as you can probably imagine, your first tournament with any army, there's a lot of kind of 
no matter how much play testing you've done, there's nothing really that beats the experience you get from an event. Um, and especially one so competitive as the, L- as the LVO, um, I went four and two there, which was my goal. I was really happy with that. Um, especially going in with a kind of what you would class a low tier army. Um, and one that hasn't been performing particularly well. And then, do you know what? I fell in love with them at that point, stuck with them ever since took them to beachhead, uh, which is a hundred man GT here in the UK, six round event. Um, I went five in one there, losing out to Vic Vijay, who's I think number one at the moment. Um, and he actually won that event with a sort of um, adaptation of the Brohammer list. So he had impulses instead of, I think, a third Chaplin Dread. So that actually caused me a lot of issues because impulses are one of those things that, as we can touch on later, quite tricky for my army to navigate around because I can't wrap, I can't charge as well. Um, and he ended up getting that win. Um, so yeah, only losing to that one. And then recently had some great success at a GT, um, going five and O and then recently an RTT going three and O, but I had to score big in order to do that. And I think the blood angels, especially now with the, um, the new ITC mission pack, we've just got so many tools to be able to deliver. So, um, yeah, super fun list to play. And I can't wait to get into this in a little bit more detail. Awesome. So what exactly was your list? Just from top to bottom, the one you took to the the Beachhead GT or whatever. Yeah, so the one I took to the Beachhead GT um, revolved around, it, it was actually the exact same list I took to the LVO, which is three units of scouts, three units of incursors, so basically a double battalion just for enough CPs to get me going. I then had the Sanguinor, a Smash Captain, and then I had Lamartes and also Astrath. And then I had three units of eight Sanguinary Guard and a unit of 11 Death Company. And then one, oh, sorry, two Sanguinary Ancients, one with the banner to give me plus two moves. So I'm basically a 14-inch jump pack unit. And then also one which gives me the um, standard of sacrifice, which is a five at feel no pain. So that was the list. Um, and it was good. Um, and then I refined it when I actually went to a um, the GT, which was 1750, which, to be honest, was I wasn't looking forward to it, but was a real kind of eye-opener is how how good my list could actually become. And we can touch on that later as well um, as to some of the you know tools that I've put in place to make my list even more potent. So um, what do you mean by that? Like what tools are you talking about to make it even more potent? So I think I think when you actually I, I when I put put a list together, I like something that is consistently reliable. Um, so one of the things that I found was going down from a two thousand point list to seventeen fifty, you're forced to make the hard decisions on units whether they um, kind of make the cut, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Something's got to go, right? So what Some, part is going to go? Something's got to go. And then I found actually I didn't miss those things whatsoever. Which then opens you up to, okay, let's put that to one side. Let's leave any pre um sort of I don't preconceived know, notions, just yeah, like, and, like and approach it with a fresh set of eyes. Exactly. And you think, right, I've got 250 points to spare. What can I add in for that? So the Smash Captain, he's been a staple, hasn't he, since the kind of dawn of eighth edition, jumping around, you know, wings of sanguineus in four damage hammer in, you know, ignoring Overwatch. But yeah, absolutely. Actually, but actually, in my list, I never rarely used it. And I found myself taking a new relic, which was given in the new um, 
Psychic Awakening, which is re-roll any of the dice on the charge. And I found myself constantly giving him this relic. And I thought, I don't need him. I don't need this four damage hammer. My army, I've got three units of Sanguinary Guard, a unit of Death Company. Whatever they go into, they just absolutely crush. I don't need a four damage hammer. Um, so when you start to take these things out, you can go, actually, what makes my army better? So I've basically built a list that revolves around my units rather than the characters. The characters are buffing characters. If they make combat, I've probably already won the game anyway, um, or I've lost it. So they're, they're not a deciding factor. Um, the work's kind of already been done one way or another. So actually, when I start to take out all these little tricks and gadgets and gizmos and, you know, really what are gimmicks and put in things that are reliable. So like being able to come down and reliably re-roll any of those dice on the charge with your plus one, uh, which we now get stock as a blood angel, or with a, a litany, which I normally try and get off, which is plus two to my charge. If anything's coming in from reserve, which actually is a rare thing for me anyway now, I only need a seven, or if I use a 3D six inch um, dice roll strap, then obviously I can re-roll any, any of those dice. And I'm finding myself not failing charges and i'm finding myself being in the right position when i need to be and i'm finding myself to be able to get all the buffs off when they're needed to really support those units as best as i possibly can be rather than trying to spread myself too thin throw units away endlessly and you know have captains dying when you know i maybe sacrifice them um so yeah i've, I've really changed the list and that actually opened me up to recently Drop in the incursors for just a three another units of scouts. Um, I'll come on to those shortly, why I don't like them, but they they just have a place for the CPs. But then I, what I was able to do is take a priest instead, uh, because a much cheaper HQ gives me plus one strength. So against marines, which are obviously very common at the moment still, um, I wound all... Um, because I'm strength five in combat, I wound everything on twos um, in terms of Marines and then any vehicles I wound on twos with my Thunder Hammers um, or my Power Fists. Um, and then also I can just give him that relic that is, you know, re-rolling those charges. Um, then by saving all those points, taking out the extra Ancient, that I, the the movement banner was, a, was good at the LVO with the terrain setup, but actually i'd found myself only using it in 50 percent of the games so again sacking off that inefficiency there for something i'm going to use all of the time i've actually now been able to put in more death company which really helps me get my buffs and wraps off much more cleanly um so that they can stay within six inches of astraf so that they're fearless so that they can i've also put another thunder hammer in there as well so whatever they touch just dies and then also i've got another unit of vanguard veterans all with storm shields so now the list is three units of sangers a unit of vanguard vets a unit of death company the five characters that support and then the six units of scouts and it is excellent okay so when you said you added more death company, what did you change the unit size from and to? Like, how many did you did you end up getting by getting rid of the captain and downgrading to a priest? Um, so yeah, that I think I gained an extra two, but um, I was able to take an extra two with one with an extra thunder hammer. Um, so I went from eleven to thirteen, and then obviously this eight man unit of vanguard vets with that extra two hundred and fifty points that I added in. So there's a lot to unpack here. And I think one of the more underlying things that you said, which really resonated with me, is the fact that you're taking units that the internet has told you are good, like the Smash Captain, and you're finding that they don't have a place in your army. Because, you know, yeah, adding a Smash Captain to a, a Imperial Guard list or Admech army is really good. It gets you 
a tool that you don't otherwise have that's very cheap and efficient to bring. Absolutely. In your Blood Angel army, you have that tool 100 times over. You have 55 hammers. You don't need another hammer. So it makes perfect sense that you're not seeing the same kind of value out of it that you would in the context of a different list. And I think what you replaced it with is saying, I have all these hammers, but sometimes the hammer breaks or you know doesn't make combat, whatever it might be, fails a charge. And you've taken that out and you've started to um, – you've taken that reroll charger out. What's that called, by the way? I think it's an icon of the angel. Okay, so it's like one of those banner relics? No, it's actually it can go on anything. Okay, that's cool. Within three uh, inches, it's basically like an here we go um, reroll. Yeah. So that you're taking that to increase your consistency on these plays, like making charges, uh, deep striking charges, etc. And then, like you even said, you don't even deep strike as much, which I want to unpack in a second. Yeah. Um, and that's also because, like, I think a lot of players get lost in the sauce, so to speak. Meaning, you can deep strike and get a three d six eight inch charge. Let's do it. Hit him with my hammer. And what ends up happening against top level players is that there's screens, and then your three hundred point secondary guard unit ends up bouncing off of five scouts. And yes, you could get a wrap off or something, but then maybe they get countercharged and all die anyway. So there's always that kind of like failure point of I could fail a charge and even then I could get screened out in a couple of turns and it's not even worth doing in the first place. Whereas you're going for a much consistent but maybe a little bit longer play of deploying and walking up the table like that. What's the what's the reasoning behind why you're deploying and running cross table and, and deep striking? What kind of factors into your mind? Like how do you make those calls? Yeah, so I think it comes down to um number one terrain. Um number two the opponent I'm obviously playing and also number three the I suppose the mission itself, um, there are obviously three things that you always want to keep in mind at any one time. Now, um, the list works around threat saturation, okay? That when I present my force, you will. N- I'm banking on you not having enough weapons to annihilate everything, so something's going to make it. Now that's kind of the the premise in in how I found some you know in to have some real good success when I'm going second especially I found in the games I've gone second and I've tried to put things in reserve I've tried to hide things I'm either not able to claim the board which my list is a holding list actually I want to get the hold I want to get the hold more I want to get the bonus I want to get my maneuver secondaries off that's where I really ace the game in which which is why in some of my most recent victories I'm scoring um I think over the last two events I've scored a 40 a 41 um a 42 and I've, sorry I've scored two 42s um over the last two events which are massive massive scores because I'm able to claim the board um so yeah, that's why I'm getting the bonus point all the time too yeah that's exactly, awesome exactly that so what I'm, what I'm going to be doing is pushing my way into the center of the board and basically saying if you want it come and get it um and that's kind of the mentality that I have and you know recently going up some f- against some fierce lists like the pre FAQ um Raven Guard with the sense which can redeploy with the grav. Um I had no terrain on my table. Nothing. Um he zoned me out with infiltrators, eliminators. He had the entire board. So literally I put every single model I had on the front line and I thought, I'm just gonna have to take it. And he split fired and I think I lost 14 sanguinary guard turn one. Oh my god. But then I knew that 
I move forward, I kill units of eliminators, I'm wrapping units of um, infiltrators, I can now get the kill to kill more, I can zone out the board, um, I can send my characters into his um, big unit of grav sense in the following turn because everything's wrapped up, he can't shoot anything. When his assault sense come down, they've got nothing to shoot because everything's wrapped at this point. He's trying to make nine-inch charges, he fails them both, the death company go in, kill one unit, take the board, and he's got one unit of assault sense on my objective and I've got the board. So yeah, but making that play, I saw that he tried to say, look, Steve, you're not deep striking anywhere. Infiltrators are taking the board over. You're not doing it. So I thought, cool, well, I'm not going to play your game. You're going to play my game. You better kill me. Otherwise it's game over. Um, and he, he just didn't have the firepower to remove me. So um, th that I found so powerful. Um, because if you go in piecemeal, if you go in one unit at a time, he goes, cool, yeah, thanks for that. Cool, you're dead. You know, drop down that next unit. Okay, yeah, thanks for gifting me that one. Yeah, cool, that's dead. And like you said, Nick, um, if I get a wrap off in one place, you can send your hard hitting unit into that and kill my sanguinary guard. But what are you going to do, Nick, when I've got four wraps off with four different units? Which way are you going to send your one smash captain or your one unit of Bulgrin? They can only be in one place. And I've got four threats with four wraps off. So it's really about those threats um, and biding my time until I know I can make it happen. Yeah, it's really cool. You're using a very counterintuitive strategy for your Blood Angels, which I love. Um, conventional wisdom, we'll call it, basically says Blood Angels are very mobile. They have deployment options. They have reliable deep strikes and charges, stuff like that. That would generally mean that they're an army that wants to deal heavy-handed alpha strikes and get the first shot off through deep striking and charging, 4-1 furying up the table with Death Company and charging turn one like that. And what you're doing is taking the opposite approach. You're just kind of deploying and saying, you know, I'm going to take some casualties. The other guy might get the first shot on me. But I'm relatively tough. My whole army is offensive. Everything can kill you. And if you kill a third of it, turn one, it doesn't matter because I will still kill you right back. Is that more or less a strategy you're going for? Absolutely. And the, I mean, look at the Sanguinary Guard. They've got two wounds each. They've got a two plus save. Um, and they've all got a five up feel no pain. Yeah, they're not. I, I often say the way I coach Blood Angels and stuff is like, uh, and I don't take it to the extreme that you do. So maybe I, I should start adopting the strategy. But um, oftentimes you are going to get screened out if you're deep striking your Sanguinary Guard trying to go for some nine inch charge or whatever and kill whatever key characters or key units they have. And if you're getting screened out, don't just charge in anyway and hit the scouts and bounce right off or wrap them and do whatever. Go into a ruin in the middle of the table, maybe out of line of sight if you can. And it's like, like you said, toughens forward, two wounds, feel no pain. No amount of thunderfires is going to just pick up that squad. Even Scorpiuses are going to shrug it. You're going to shrug them off. You're going to take a, a now that they lost Dev Doctrine essentially because assuming you'll be on turn two. They're AP2, yeah, one up saving cover, it'll be a three up. Then you have feeling pain, so the flat two damage isn't even that powerful. So yeah. you can really do a number on with your durability, or rather to just survive and tank up the field. Yeah, and all those characters, I mean, they have to what I kind of do is move, I call them the, my fellowship of the ring, right? They all just stick <laughs> together. The Vanguard vets are literally creating a little semi, you know, a big circle around them. Then Vanguard vets, uh, sorry, the Stern, um, not Stern guard, the Sanguinary guard are then making another circle. And then I interlink another circle so they can peel off in any direction I want. So no matter how much you put into those characters, you're never going to get to them. You want to claim the board off me? Fine. Even if you kill all the models, you're going to get five characters that hit like a truck in your face yeah. so that's kind of like my 
like my D plan, you know, if everything else has gone, you know, failed. Um, and like you said, Nick, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to push into the middle of the board, push into a ruin. Um, and then when I present, I'm going, right, you've got four units to kill. So there was a really interesting matchup I had um, at game six of the Beachhead Brawl. I was against a full night list going second with minimal terrain on the table. Um, and that one caused me a real brain puzzler. Um, and I nearly lost it. I could have easily made a decision which lost me that game. Although on paper you think, oh yeah, Blood Angels smash knights, but they don't when you're playing against a good knight player. So I'm sure we can cover that as well. In you know, yeah, we'll go. That's, I'm really glad you brought that up because I also would say Blood Angels smash knights. That's just what makes sense. So in part two, we'll definitely go into the knight matchup in depth and figure out what the knight player can do, if, like you said, if he's good to mitigate that, and then what the Blood Angel player needs to be aware of on his end. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, some of the games I've played recently, look, I haven't played against absolutely everything with the list. I've, and obviously, I've only took this now to uh, four tournaments, um, played against Dark Elder. I've played against Raven Guard uh, twice now. I've played against Imperial Fists. Um, I've played against Iron Hands two or three times. Um, I've played against, and obviously this is all pre-FAQ played against knights twice i've played against mech eldar um i think four or five times now um and which is again a very difficult matchup on paper because everything's got the fly keyword which is we can talk about why that gives me such a great issue as well um so yeah i played against a whole magnitude of lists i'm yet to play orcs um so i don't know how that one goes um i think i roughly know but you know, obviously, it's always good to test. Um, and I, I've also played against Grey Knights as well. They were my final um, opponent at the GT in which I won. Um, and I ended up winning 36-0. So we can talk about how that happened as well. Yeah, definitely. So I do want to backtrack a little bit and talk more about your list on a conceptual scale. We very recently had Thomas Engstromoki on, which is one of the top Blood Angel players in our country. Yeah. And... Uh, he hasn't seen quite the success you have as of very recently because he's kind of taken a little bit of a hiatus for 40K in favor of real life and whatnot. Uh, totally understandable, of course. So he runs a similar concept, you know, double sanguinary guard, death company, all that stuff, and a gaggle of characters to run right behind it. And his approach to the game is actually pretty similar to yours. He, he does deep strike some, I'd say, a bit more than you do, but he also has no problem deploying and walking up the table that way. And his strategy is very similar in that it's board control oriented. You run in the middle, you hang out in the middle. That allows you to get hold more and things like that. Go for the bonus and make some plays. Um, so, you know, you guys are barking up the same tree here. But he's opted for other things like relics. Um, he, also, he, he always, I want to say, takes the angel's wing, if I recall. Or no, sorry, I'm making that up. He doesn't usually take the Angel's Wing unless it's a, a matchup that warrants it, like Tau, that he completely ignores Overwatch. But instead of taking that reroll charge icon, or whatever it is, he takes the banner for a Sanguinary Ancient. He runs double Sanguinary Ancient, so he can take both banners, the Feel No Pain one, and then the one that's plus two move for Jump Pack, guys. Yeah. Uh, have you considered that one at all? Have you thought about we that? Yeah, so um, actually me and Thomas have spoke quite a lot before I took my list of the LVO. Um, and he was sort of saying to me, oh, why have you not got a priest? And I was like, I want a second banner. So we've actually had, me and Thomas have been talking a lot. So um, I think we've, which is probably why we've got very similar list uh, sort of ideas. We've probably shared some stuff there. So I, I did take that banner, uh, the, the plus two move, the Sanguinary Ancient for 63 points, whatever he is, is a steal. Um, and that plus two banner is excellent. But the, the reason why I don't is because I'm only running on 
was kind of fumes when it comes to CPs, or I thought I was at the time. Now, the Blood Angels only have the old school relic um, stratagem, where it's if you want to take, uh, sorry, an extra two relics, it costs you three CPs. And I thought, do you know what? I'm not always taking this extra two inch move, you know, because you can look at the board and think, do I really need it or not? And typically now I'm finding I'm not needing it. Um, so it was more of a luxury than a necessary. And I, I'm a big fan of that, the way you describe it, especially armies like Blood Angels. They are very CP intensive. All of a sudden you're doing a fight twice, a deep strike charge, fight twice kind of turns, eight CP go by like that. So every CP you spend, you know, it's easy to spend CP when you have 13 or 14. What's yeah. one CP here? What's one CP there? But when you think about the fact that you're getting spending CP in packages of three to five to eight all in one action for a combination of strats used together, it's like, yeah, going from 13 to 14 or 14 to 13 might not matter, but that could be a CP that breaks an entire combo when you're down to six and you only and you need seven, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Or you need that litany to desperately go off. Um, right. You just need that one CP just for that, you know. Right. Role. It's all opportunity costs. Like if you're at three CP that you budgeted for fight twice, but then you failed your your eight inch charge at a deep strike or that litany or whatever it is, and you if you use your CP reroll to fix it, well, I guess you know you're not fighting twice all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, so you know, a lot of players might look that like at that as like, man, I rolled so bad, I failed my charge. And the right way to look at it, which seems to be how you're looking at it, is did I spend a CP four turns ago that I didn't need to spend? Yeah, and the difference is two CPs because I should spend one extra CP for my one extra relic. I don't want to have to spend another two just to get a two-inch move. Uh, for me, that's not worth it. And I plan out all of my secondaries, whether I'm going first or second. Um, and I like like one to two that I've got free to spend at any one time because there's some really cool stratagems which you think in the right clutch moment, these are great. You know, whether it's a, um, so if I'm going to charge Tau, for example, I'll put a unit of Sanguinary Guard in and I'll just put Transhuman on them because I know they'll make it. Even with um, three Riptides with Burst Cannon shooting at them with, you know, what they strength, what strength six minus strength two, six, yeah. two damage. I've, if I'm charging from cover, I've got a three up save unless they're ignoring it. And then I'm on a four up and then I've got a five up feel no pain. So, you know, with transhuman on, I make that charge. That's fine. I don't need, uh, yeah, I'll take a few casualties, but that's fine. I've got, if even if I lose four guys, those four still make it. I can plant them where, where they need to, to stop any further overwatch. And then all the other two units come in, the death company come in, the, uh, the Vanguard vets come in, the characters come in, excuse me. Yeah. <coughs> so yeah, it's, do you know what I mean? That that's where you're like, actually that's a much better use of two CPs than just another relic I could have took. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, out of curiosity, how often do you transhuman? I find that I rarely do it as an Iron Hands player. That's my most of my experience with Space Marines at this point. Um, but that's also probably because my army is so durable and my squads are much smaller, so I get a lot less return on investment. But you have the larger squads, so maybe you use it a lot more or not really. Yeah, I think the... Um so w one of the times I might use it is on my death company when they make a long bomb charge. So if if I do get the opportunity to go first um, and I feel like, you know, I want to I want to send the death company into, um, you know, do what they do best, go and smash something up. I know that I've got a certain range in between my six inch aura character um, fellowship, we'll call them. 
and then where my five hammers need to be so that they can all get within an inch, okay? So I know there's a certain distance in between there, and then I can roughly calculate how many casualties I'll use, uh, sorry, lose without transhuman versus with transhuman. And then there's another CP that I can use to give them a five up, feel no pain. So if I feel like it's useful, I'll spend those CP so I can ensure the death company do what they do best and they make their charge and also they get all the buffs. So, and then I'll, then I'll go so, fight, then I'll fight twice with them and pick up maybe four or five tanks or whatever I need to do. Yeah. So it sounds like to me, <clears throat> you, you you're using your CP as an insurance policy to make sure the things happen that you want to have happen, right? Absolutely. Um, so I want to talk about um, some of the other things that you you budget your CP for. But before we do that, uh, we have to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. And now that we've done that, thank you, thank you for putting up with that. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about some of the other things that you might spend CP on, CPs on? Because I, I think from a strategic standpoint, that's pretty interesting that you're using your CPs to make sure you don't take as many casualties on a charge, which is, I, I think, counterintuitive. Most people would be like, I'm going to use that when they well, line up a big shot on me, you know, uh, but you're actually using it to like make sure that you get complete your charge with enough stuff to accomplish the mission that they're there to accomplish, whether it's tie up X number of models or, you know, get there with enough hammers so that you can kill what you need to kill. Right. So. Yeah. I, I think when we look at the, uh, the, something like transhuman, um, I mean, I'm literally only thinking about this for the first ever time, to be honest. So bear with me, but now we talk about it and probably trying to analyze why I do it in that way is because I am in control of what they are shooting at. Okay, I am dictating this is going to charge. You therefore get an, a free action. I'm now going to support myself in ensuring this happens. Okay, versus using transhuman in your opponent's turn, they are still in control. If they want that unit dead, they'll just continue to kill it. So that's why I've got the redundancies built in. Cool. You want to take this the sanguinary guard unit with the axes off the table? Fine. Carry on. I've got two more left. And I'm not going to waste any CPs on them, but you carry on because whether it's, um, you know, an extra gun here or there or an extra tank gets to shoot because of transhuman, it's not probably going to do, it's not going to change the game that much. But ensuring that charge goes off, ensuring those units make the charge, ensuring they get to fight in the proper order to get their wrap off or whatever it might be or to hold ground so that then I can charge um, in future turns. Uh, with other units because I can lock you down in combat. Fantastic. So I'll give you another example. Um, RTT at the weekend, playing against knights. Go in, death company, hit one knight straight off the table. He stands back up. I spend three CPs, kill him again. Okay. Then um, the the next knight charges in to the death company. Transhuman. Now there's a death company model alive. Therefore, it's still my turn. 
And that means, sorry, it's, it's still his turn, which means he can't fall back. So that when I send my next unit of, um, you know, sanguinary guard in or that next character in he can't overwatch because he's already in combat so yes i spent two cps but i basically shut off his um overwatch because i'm already i've already locked him down i'm exactly i mean he's exactly where i want him to be so again i'm making that decision i'm in control versus you know just randomly doing in a shooting phase which i think is probably a bit of a waste and that's probably why i've used it more than you nick because the way that my army operates is more combat based rather than more a shooting gun line support list. Yeah. I think, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Like John said, you're using your CP to make sure your plans are working and you are, you're only giving away like one thing to deal with at a time to your opponent in the combat phase and stuff. So if you can, if he's sequencing to kill exactly enough on this or exactly enough on that, and you can throw off that math a little bit, all of a sudden it opens up a lot of opportunities for you where for me, it's like, if he kills three intercessors versus five intercessors, it's not really any different. Yeah, exactly. I want to focus on something that Steven said just a little bit ago, because it, it sort of plays in with his his you know uh, theory of the case on just CP expenditure, and that is he said earlier that he is dictating his game plan to his opponent and forcing them to react. Right. So in the same way, he's spending his CP as a part of his dictation. Right. Um, as opposed to reacting to what the opponent's doing, like, uh, you know, a lot of people spend their CP um, to sort of blunt your opponent's plan. So, like, they're trying to shoot something off, you transhuman to so that thing doesn't get shot off, whatever. But you're saying, no, I'm not using my CP to blunt your plan. I'm using it to execute my plan, and I am dictating to you how this game is going to go. You respond, right? Is that, yeah, am I understanding that right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what that's the way you want to play Warhammer, you know. Um, you know, you want to play your game. If as soon as you get sucked into playing somebody else's, that's game over. You know, they'll be in control whether they want to get the hold more, they'll get it. They want to get the kill more, they'll get it. I'm dictating the tempo, the flow of the game. Um, yeah, and you're playing my game now. And if I see you get that, you know, initiative, you get the first turn, cool. Let's can is there anything that I can do in my deployment that changes this? And that's exactly what I'm trying to do all the time. And then it makes your opponent have to react rather than just following out the same execution that they're used to. Okay. So it's kind of like in a game of football or soccer, you're forcing someone to play on the left side when they're maybe right footed. So switching that over straight away, they're, they're doing something that's uncomfortable for them. And as soon as you've got that, you can then you know, start to bait them to make mistakes. And when they do capitalize on it, and that's exactly what Blood Angels have got. They've got the mobility, they hit hard, and they're able to, you know, capitalize on people's mistakes. But the other problem is with the Blood Angels, if you make a mistake, it's game. But there is no wiggle room at all. So um, it works both ways. And that's, yeah. that's what I love about it so much. It's so rewarding. I'm really glad you just touched on that. I was about to make the same point. So that's pretty awesome. The, uh, when you you never want to rely on your opponent making mistakes for your one condition or anything like that. You want to just play a game that's tight and solid. Um, but if you are doing what you're doing, being super hyper aggressive, making them play your game, you know you're comfortable. You're playing your game. You you've done this a thousand times, presumably. Like you know what you're doing. They're not. They're not playing the game they played a thousand times. They're writing off of no script. They're just winging it. And that does you know best players in the world doesn't matter you're still gonna make sloppy mistakes there here and there just like a micro positioning thing which a combat army that you're playing blood angels can do excellent work if you can spot it to capitalize on that so yeah 
while it might not be some egregious error on your opponent's part, a small little like this one guy is where you shouldn't be lets you consolidate around him to get to a different spot on an objective or wrap something or all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot of you're putting all the onus on your opponent to basically play a perfect game in a position where he's not comfortable with. And if he can't do it or if he messes it up, you have all the tools in the world to capitalize on it. So I really love the, the hyper-aggressive style there. Yeah, so I'll give you an example. My um my game five of the GT, um, up against Grey Knight. So me and him were the only two armies that were undefeated at this GT. Um, he deploys very defensively. He's played very defensive all weekend, and it's done him really well with the Grey Knights going second. There's a lot of bonuses to going second now. Um, you know, he can shoot indirectly. He can drop. He can smite. He can bugger off. You know, he can do loads of different things, okay? Um, he can hold the board. So he said, cool, Steve, you go first. And I was like, winner. So everything goes down on the table. We're playing hammer and anvil deployment. I can move advance pre-game. I then moved the death company up. I advanced all my characters, moved everything up and I zoned out the board. I put all of my units of scouts pretty much um, nine inches away from his front line, forcing him into one corner where I wanted him. He deployed his whole army, uh, which was three characters, inceptors, purgators, and a dreadnought down in that building. Dreadnought was just behind. Obviously, he can't go in the building. The rest of the Grey Knights was in Deep Strike. He's playing his usual game, the game he's played all weekend against all the Iron Hands players he's played, against all the Chaos lists, but he hasn't played against Blood Angels. I've gone in. I've hit him. Uh, I, t- I picked up the Inceptors with, I think, three hammers, two hammers picked up a chaplain, and then all the all the chainsaws from the Death Company pick up the five Purgators. I do not consolidate. I stay where I am, so that which means his other characters in the middle can't fight. I then spend three CPs, go in, pick up both characters, because I've got a six-inch consolidation, and pile in, wrap the Dreadnought, and it's a 36-0, because I killed him in his first turn, um, because the only, thing, the only model he's got left on the board is that Dreadnought. I pick him up in my combat. It's game. Um, so that's an, a perfect example there of somebody that's playing his usual game that hasn't thought about... How does it, you know, why is he putting all those models in the enclosed ruin? He just did it because that's what he normally does. I don't even worry about firing a gun. You know, loads of people ask me in the Blood Angel group, okay, Steve, what's best, bolt guns or bolt pistols on Death Company? And I'm like, I do not waste my time even thinking about shooting because as soon as I do that, then, um, you know, I'm not spending my time doing what I need to be doing, which is, you know, putting all of my thought process on the movement phase or the combat phase. Interesting. So that's cool. Um, <clears throat> so would you say your overall strategy is to, we'll just talk about it from an ITC perspective. I understand this might be a little different in an ETC perspective, although I think this actually is pretty translatable to both, that you move on to all the objectives and then you're looking to pick up kills where your opponent makes mistakes. So basically either they have the option of um, probably getting kill more and you getting hold more, but you're getting the bonus. You're getting ahead on primaries, right? Um, and so you're going to force a point in the game where they have to come into your range, which is significant. And once you touch them, you you destroy what you touch, right? So you're sort of trying to tip the game over in that you're just like, hey, I'm going to use the scenario to force you to engage with me. And if you don't engage with me, if nothing changes, I'm going to win the game, right? It- Exactly that. Yeah, and, and and the way I play against Tau is exactly that point. People, are, Blood Angels are so worried about fighting Tau. They're like, yeah, how do you ignore Overwatch? I'm like, 
you're assuming I make any charges because you don't yeah. necessarily need to. You like you said, John. You know, like you you set the game up. I'm going to plant that objective there because it's near that piece of cover. Because I know that I just need to plant four units of scouts in there every turn. I move one unit of scouts onto that objective to get the bonus. They sacrifice, they die, whatever. I focus on my secondaries, which are all maneuver based. Um, even some of the uh, killing ones, like the the be a legend one, which is still like behind enemy lines with that character or hold an objective outside your deployment zone. They're actually maneuvered based, um, you know, points to score. Should I say? Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that. So. Yeah. Um, ITC has recently been sort of upended. There's brand new missions, in which we'll talk about somewhat. But why don't you go through, like, typically what your secondaries would look like in any given mission? Do you find that you're taking the same secondaries often, or do you end up taking a lot of, is it more by matchup? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I can give you two straight off recon in behind enemy lines. So you take those in every game, even behind enemy lines, huh? Yeah, pretty much. So you are, you are, what you're telling me is, you are you are coming for your opponent. You're getting into their business. You're going to be in their deployment zone. You're just, I mean, I, I know this isn't maybe a proper way to say it, but you're going to be inside somebody, right? <laughs> for, <laughs> for at least two turns, yeah. Now, remember, with the new secondaries, after the first turn, you can normally double up, can't you? So that means as soon as I've got three characters in your deployment zone, I'm going to get that. So even if I'm getting behind enemy lines in turns five and six, I can be that patient and wait to get all my four points over the course of two turns. Yeah, you can choose not to play the game for as long as you want and then just for backload all your points, and that's totally valid. It's a six-turn game, not a two-turn game. And I think that's where people get really uncomfortable. I agree. A lot of people always go for the win as early as possible. I just, it's tough for me to do. I'm going to do it, like, obviously. To- but... No, like restraint is one of the hardest things to learn in this game, especially with an aggressive army like Blood Angels. And I'm really glad you're touching on that because if you just expose yourself for six turns to your enemy's firepower, you're not going to make it to turn six. But if you can just get by keeping pace on the scoreboard and then you backload turns four, five, and six, it doesn't matter that you might have died by the end of turn six. Game's over. Exactly that. And the, um, like, the sort of patience and that resilience is something that, you know, my last sport that I used to compete at was bodybuilding. I used to prep for nine months, nine months to do one competition. Like I'm biding my time. If six turns, three hour game, no problem. So, um, yeah, I've got all the patience in the world to just sit there and do absolutely nothing unless I have to. And I think that is something that a lot of people are, especially when you've got this real mobile, super aggressive list on paper, but is so fragile. And I think if more players learn to be patient, um, then actually they would probably be a lot more successful. That's interesting. Uh, especially, and I think what I, I think a sort of a, something that goes hand in hand with that point is if, if just because you have a loaded gun pointed at your opponent, if you don't fire it, the threat of firing your gun is as powerful every turn in the game until you fire it, right? So if you have those elements that are like, hey, I can reach out and touch you whenever I want, right? So it forces your opponent to play in a way, and it sort of seeds more of that scenario pressure that you're putting on them, right? And um, your your opponent probably is expecting you because most, I'm going to guess, I'm not trying to categorize anyone, but most Blood Angels players are like, I have this loaded gun, I'm going to go shoot it in my opponent's face. 
And so they're just waiting for them to come to them so they can pick them apart. And as soon as you start playing a patient game, suddenly they realize, oh no, actually I'm in quicksand. I'm going to lose this on scenario. I've, I have to become aggressive all of a sudden. And by then it's probably too late, right? Yeah, or they'll make a mistake. Um, and I think there's there's been like, a lot of people don't like the death company. A lot of people have told me, um, even, you know, some of the guys in the England team, Nick, have said, oh, why are you taking death company? You know, sanguinary guard. I'm also better. in that package. I don't like the death company, but I'm coming around to them slowly well, but surely with, with I, talks with you and Thomas. Literally MVP every game. Um, they are just beautiful. And the thing is, straight away, you put them down, um, especially now where there's no C's. Nick, let's, let me ask you this question. We're playing a game. You've got your iron hands. I've got my blood angels. You win the roll off to go first. Are you taking it or not? Or are you going to let me go first? So I'm totally on board with you. The death company in the no seas format changes so much because exactly what you just said, if I don't want to eat the death company turn one, I have to take first turn. If I'm taking first turn, that's an amazing disadvantage to the mission. Now to answer your actual question, I'll just take second turn and say, bring it death company. Yeah. Cause I think sticking to my guns is a better strategy than changing my entire plan to play the game. You want me to play exactly your point. Yeah. And that's another point where you make that you, your opponent has that choice to make, we can make the wrong choice. And then all of a sudden you're, you're sitting pretty. Yeah. So either way, it just forces your opponent to either castle up really hard in their back corner. You're giving me the board. I'm going second, but you've given me that board um, because you've been, you know, worried about this threat of, um, you know, the death company or whatever. Or, um, and if you do castle up really hard, maybe I just, you know, send them backwards so that they're out of your range of any threats and I can redeploy them at any point. There's options. So, um, yeah, I think it, straight away the death company create a, um, a real decision-making process that can put your opponent under a lot of like stress straight away. How am I going to deal with them? Because I they- think something that we're touching on here is also back to the CP discussion. If you have five CP just hanging out or six CP and nothing to spend it on at the moment, I always have to be aware of the fact that yeah, smash captain or, or death company or sanguinary guard can just redeploy and charge me at all times. So even if it's turn five, there's no reserves left. I'm not safe if there's five CP sitting there. So saving those CP for those later turns means I have to now screen. I have to be wary of this potential huge bomb that's coming my way. If I'm not, then I'm just going to die because I didn't screen it. And having to screen for five turns, six turns, really, really difficult. That's basically the premise of my old Gene Stealer cult list is, yeah, you can screen for three turns. You can't screen for six. So I keep crashing in ways into you, keep cycling into reserve, and eventually you're out of screens and I get to kill you. And that's by saving those CP, by exercising that patience with it, that's what you're essentially doing. Yeah, or you'll clock out because you'll spend so long measuring nine inches from the corner, 18 <laughs> inches between each one, and you'll be there thinking, oh, how many CPs you got left? And it's Because uh, when you play Warhammer, there's two games going on. There's a game on the table, and there's a game against me, against you. And and that is what's so beautiful about the game. It's why it's so complex. It's why we love it so much. Um, and it's a real fascinating way to play the game, which is ultimately, this is the first ever army I've thought, I can play all year with these guys. And that's exactly what I'm intending to do. So, um, yeah, not get bored, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's just so much interaction, both with your opponent and also on the table. And there's just just rooms for um, play in so many different directions. But they are a glass cannon, and you need to be aware of that. Like you said, you know, Nick, if you make the wrong decision and you just sat there, you fail that charge, then it's game over. There's a million ways to win or lose with a, with a combat army because the onus is on you and you're trying to shift it to your opponent. 
to, to win the game. So what do I mean by that? I mean, basically, if you're a combat army and your opponent is a shooting army, we'll say, if no one does anything, you're going to lose because he's going to shoot you in the face. Even if you just hide for most of the game, unless the objectives are all out of line of sight, you're still going to lose. Presumably there's some indirect fire. He's got some deep striking angles to get to you. You need to do something. So you need to, as quickly as possible, shift the onus of needing to do something onto your opponent. And you're answering that by just threat overloading, getting in his face, giving a million things to deal with, then charging, rapping, doing your stuff. And you lose a third of your army, half your army in the process. But because now the shooting army is in such an uncomfortable position, you know, that could still win you the game. You know, you can still win that position. You're probably favored in that position, even though you're playing with 1,000 points versus 2,000, because you're in, you're in the right spot. Yep. And I think what the way you're using your army is is really rewarding, like you said, because if you can, you know, make your opponent make those mistakes to win the game, shift the onus onto him that he has to won't be the one to do something, deal with the guns, you know, that's a really hard thing to do. And if you mess it up, you're going to lose. If you charge at the wrong time, you get too aggressive, you get too passive, million ways to lose. But if you do it right, it's like a beautiful symphony working out. Yeah. So let me let me ask you this then, and I'm going to ask both of you guys this question because. You know, I'm not as experienced as either of you. So you would describe this army as a high skill cap army, right? If you invest time into it, it's going to reward you, as opposed to like an Iron Hands Brigade, which is a lower skill cap army, but will get you to a, a it has a lower floor, right? You're you're going to get to a certain level right away. Yeah, a higher floor. You mean? Yeah, sorry, higher floor. Yep. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I've got a notebook, which I sit down after every game and I map out exactly where I went wrong or I went right. Um, And there are so many things that you do not even think about that I am now learning how to play my list. Even things like when I make my charges, um, bear in mind, I'm charging with four units at a time. Okay, I need to make room for every single one of those models to get within an inch to have room to pile in to be six inches back from my bubble. If I want to take characters in, um, even things against like the seer council that can then fall back out of combat after they fought. I still need to ensure that all of my characters are protected whilst being with an inch. I then maybe need to do things like move blocking, wrapping. I need to be able to put in allocation on certain units and I can just consolidate towards another nearest unit. Um, even angles in which I attack from. So if there's two L's, which L shape do I want to attack into? So where do I need to stack the objective pre-game to ensure that they put most of their army one way? Do I then stack scouts on one side to force your hand to go to the other? There's so many different things but I'm learning this every single game I play, making notes, doing doodles, you know, thinking, right, okay, this would have been a better battle plan on this matchup, on this table terrain. And there's not many lists I've ever really needed to do that with before. So you know what's really interesting, Steve? And this this speaks to that a lot, and to you as a player. Prior to playing Blood Angels, you were playing Ultramarines or Pulsars, if I recall correctly. Yeah. That is the polar opposite of this. You basically said, I have these points of fission tanks. They're broken. I shoot a lot. I reroll damage. If I go first, you're probably dead. If you go first, can you kill me? We'll see. Uh, very binary type of list. And to switch to a finesse-based Blood Angel list, that must have been night and day for you. So what has that transition been like for you as a player? How have you grown? And do you, which style do you prefer? What are the pros and cons of each? It's such an in-depth question, but I love the story that it tells. Yeah, so the Ultramarines list was basically Calgar, a lieutenant, three units of suppressors, uh, a, a massive unit of aggressors, and then two smaller units of aggressors. And then actually I put the repulsors in because they were the transports for the aggressors. 
So that was kind of how that list orchestrated itself. Um, and that was what I really liked about that was these, you know, all these aggressors, um, all being able to heroically intervene, all be able to overwatch for each other. And it was kind of like a real Spartan style army, like every model protected the guy next to him kind of thing, which was really cool, but it was slow. Yeah. Redeployment was good. That was a great stratagem. And I think actually Ultramarines are going to have a really good place now after this FAQ, they got some really good stuff in that book that, you know, really shines to their flavor, which is they are the most tactical um, commanders of, you know, the, Adeptus Astartes, right? That's what they're known for is they're um, in all the sort of lore and all that stuff. It, they are the tacticians and they've got all the warlord traits and the stratagems to reflect that, which was, to be honest, overshadowed by Iron Hands um, and Imperial Fists. Um, and don't get me wrong, I did enjoy that because I still had those elements of being able to move, shoot, charge. I could play in every phase of the game. The repulses, to be honest, were a bit more of a distraction because most of the work was being done by the 200 shots a turn that was putting out from the aggressors but um yeah the this list is just got so many more options even into the hard matchups it can outplay it and i think the skill cap is where um even into a hard matchup uh, where the blood uh, where the ultramarines would just be that's it gone you you know you get the wrong deployment you get the wrong kind of going first or second it's game over. This list, completely different. I know I have a chance because I know the skill cap on this is something which I can leverage to my advantage. And I think that's what's so exciting about the list. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm really happy to hear that. So I, I agree completely. This this one allows you to grow into it more. As like you're, you're a better player now than you were six months ago. And this list is, you kind of outgrew that other list, I would say. And you've grown into this one. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had one question, which I probably should have asked like a long time ago, since this conversation's gotten pretty philosophical. I don't want to ruin that. But uh, why are there Vanguard vets in your list? Uh, the internet says those are bad, so elaborate. Um, well, I threw them in because I thought it, I needed to try them. I had this 250 points. I can't take any more Sangers. I mean, I can because I'm only taking units of eight, but I don't think 10 and any better than eight, in my opinion. Eight do the same job ten do, okay? Um, five Thunderhammers in the Death Company do everything I ever need them to do and more, right? So I thought, what's another unit that just adds a little bit more of what I've already got? Because what I've already got is working, and the next best thing was Vanguard Vets. Now, here's the difference. So my guys who play on my team for Vanguard Tactics, like Jack, he's a really good um, Tau player. Um, and also he's running Raven Guard and he was like, mate, don't run them. They're awful. You know, like you've probably heard Vanguard bets aren't great, but for me, they do two things. Number one, they can just sit around and shield my characters if I need to. So then the Sanguinary Guard, the Death Company go and do their thing. Um, or they can go in first and take the Overwatch because they've got a five up fill no pain and they've got a three plus invulnerable save. So they can just literally just take the Overwatch if needed. Um, alternatively, um, when you actually start to stack everything together, now bear in mind, Vanguard Vets are normally, you know, coming in from Deep Strike with a nine inch charge, maybe a seven if there's a chaplain nearby. My chaplains are always there. My chaplains are always in the right position. Okay. The other difference is as well, my sixes explode. I need a seven inch charge. Um, I can get that on a 3d6 if I really need to. Um, I can re-roll any of their charge rolls. So all of a sudden they're reliable. Um, 
like I said, sixes explode. They're strength five base, so they wound. Uh, the chainswords are wounding marines on twos. Um, in the assault doctrine, I'm getting another, not only minus AP, but I get another shock assault attack, basically, because that's their super doctrine. Um, so a single vanguard vet is getting four attacks. As soon as I've got the Sanguinor nearby, because I will, I've got five attacks. So two base, plus two for charging, plus one for the Sanguinor. That's five attacks each. Sixes are exploding. I'm re-rolling all misses because of the litany. Um, what's not to like? Do you know what I mean? I get plus one to wound. Um, I'm wounding knights on twos with the fists and the thunder hammers. So yeah, they're a real glass cannon, but when they go in, they'll pick up whatever I need them to. Well, they also, <clears throat> they move and they give you um, another answer to flyers, right? Which is not a bad thing to have. Because uh, I imagine you have, you probably struggle a little bit with an all flyer list. Yeah. You probably would on scenario, but you probably struggle to kill them, I would guess. And they give you at least something in that in that arena. Yeah. Like I played against a Mech Eldar list at the weekend. He had a uh, really good player as well. Like I mean, really like tight, clean um play from this opponent. Um, really enjoyable to play. He had three night spinners, three fire prisms, three falcons, um, and he had two um war walkers which it's in reserve but then he's also got a big unit of spears and then also all the characters that he needs to keep them protected and fortuned up but you know death company can go into two two of the tanks the sanguard can go into another um the vanguard vets can go into another they can just be in every place so i don't need to worry about wrapping because i'm just literally hammering through everything as quickly as i can um in order to make sure that when he's returning fire, he's, he doesn't have as many things to shoot, basically. It's just that simple. Um, and that was a real difficult game in which I went second. Um, and he literally went all out alpha strike on me. All tanks were either linking fire. They were obviously firing indirectly, ignoring cover, re-rolling a hit, re-rolling a wound. Uh, the spears were coming over, shooting, charging. Um, but yeah, I was able to weather it all, tank most of it. I think I lost 16 vanguard vets in turn one sorry 16 sanguinary guard turn one but my counter was so hard i picked up all the spears and i killed up four tanks turn one so it's just got so much resilience and also like efficiencies built in yeah that makes sense that's great so yeah i mean the, the vanguard vets the look i'm 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 sure in six months time, we could probably have this conversation again and there could be a different unit in there, you know? Um, but I've actually thought about dropping the scouts. So just taking one battalion and then taking another unit of Vanguard Vets. So two units of Vanguard Vets, three Stern Guard, one Death Company, and then the characters. And I think I might be able to do it. Yeah, I gotcha. So that's something to play around with the points with, but they do function kind of like a discount Sanguard unit. I get that. Yeah. One thing that's interesting, I see a lot of really good players do this, and, and what they do is they start off with double or triple battalion, and then they look for ways to get those troops out. So they find, they find out through their play which stratagems, what they need their CP for, and they, they sort of naturally migrate towards one battalion if they can get away with it because they realize, well, I didn't really need that CP for that. So if I, yeah, if you absolutely. know, so I can get more, more things that do work as opposed to these stupid scouts that don't do anything but give up kills. Like, there you go, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, you know, oh, it's not just that we're experimenting with life. Let's just start out with 18 CP and then figure out what we can cut from there. It's, 
we think we need 18CP to start. It's like I have all these really cool strats. It's almost like information overload. And then when you play games, you just find yourself not using certain ones. So it's like, well, if I don't actually need my CP, well, then maybe I can cut down a little bit. But that's a great observation, John. Yeah, I think with... Um, do you want me to go over, go over the, some of the stratagems I use on a regular basis? Oh, you can, yeah, sure. So, Just on a cursory level, you don't have to go super in detail. Yeah, typically, um, there's there's literally three that I use. One of them's the extra relic. One of them's, I always want to have two CPs in the bank for Fall on Fury if I need it. Because if I'm going first, why not? Or sometimes if I'm going second, then I just want to get the Death Company in the right position. So it can often be a good defensive move is spend those two CPs at that point. Um, and then also fight twice. So bare minimum six, I can probably survive on six. Um, but actually with one battalion and battle, um, battle forged and then two extra, like a two extra vanguards or spearheads, whatever they're called. Um, that brings me in at 10. I probably can work it. Yeah. Awesome. And then the scouts aren't giving me up those, easy kills that they get right and we always try to yeah so always trying to get rid of those scouts you know just liabilities out there just as a um another thought process have you considered upgrading scouts to intercessors yeah so the previous list was incursors because um incursors in blood angels i think are really good they offer the same um like forward pressure that you want they're able to like start to force your opponent one way or another um but also when you start to stack all the things in together like the extra attack from the sanguine or um you're adding in the exploding sixes they already get exploding sixes anyway um you know they they could be strength five as well with the plus one to wound you know five of these guys can take out you know 20 to 25 orcs quite comfortably um in a horde matchup whereas intercessors just don't do that um and also the intercessors normally left behind um in the incursors what they can be great for, excuse me. <coughs> um, what the incursors can be great at is actually just hiding forward um, so that they're protecting your characters as well. Yeah, I think uh, basically, if you think about it in terms of how intercessors became such a staple in the meta, it's not so much that they do all that damage or anything, it's mostly that they are scouts that don't die as easy. So if you're going to take troops to make your battalion, pay the premium and make them so they don't just give a lot of points to your opponent. So naturally, if the Incursor is the Tactical Marine, being uh, sorry, if the Intercessor is to the Tactical Marine, as the Incursor is to the Scout, yeah. it's the same thing, it just infiltrates. So if you're looking for Scouts for screening, or pregame moving, or charging turn one, any of that stuff, Incursors do that job really well. So I like that usage. Yeah, and also they're getting that, you know, two wounds, um, and five plus in front of it, uh, feel no pain because they're probably going to be near the center of the board where I'm getting my recon or the other secondary I quite like is King of the Hill now because that's slightly changed if I'm going second um, because I've got literally all my units in the middle of the board. So no one's ever bullying me out of that situation. Right. Um, so yeah, King of the Hill is often quite a good one for me to take. Um, and yeah, I mean, let's be honest. If they bully you out of the center of the board, they've already won because you're tabled. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that's that's just the reality of of how the game went. Yeah. It's also King of the Hill is now uh, gone up to a nine inch order, which means if you're playing on those classic tables like the Nova style with the two L's, neither L is generally in the middle of the board. They're right just off center, but you could probably control or get King of the Hill points while being behind the L, now that it's 9-inch aura. Yep. So that's a huge change. 
Absolutely. And also you can double up now, can't you, in certain turns? Yeah, with King of the Hill, if you had four units, you can just rock out two points in one turn. So maybe on turn two, it's a very easy thing to do. Yep, three units of Incursors and unit of Sanguinary Guard. Done it. Cool. Cheers. Next one. Nice. Great. I like it. John, are there any other questions you want to ask uh, before no, we move into the I'm actually portion. super, super duper excited to get into the matchup talk because his list is very flexible. It's very high skill cap. And I think that, that talking about those individual matchups is actually going to be pretty enlightening, right? So, yeah. The, maybe not so much the matchups I'm excited for, but we go real deep. So we'll get into the minutiae of like how to manage the character placement when, when you're looking for wraps versus not. Um, there's a lot to, to unpack in this next episode, so I'm excited for it. All right, so the way you get to listen to episode two is by being a patron. And if you haven't signed up for our Patreon yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. There's literally, I think, 30-some 30, 30 interviews that are of that high quality for $6 a month, and you get access to all of them. So go check it out at AOW40K.com. Uh, it's totally a great investment. And if you get an opportunity, you could do me a solid by checking out my new podcast, 40K Today, and that's at 40ktoday.com, and that's your daily 15-minute digest of what's happening in the world of 40K. Totally worth checking that out. All right, patrons, we'll see you in episode two. Non-patrons, go sign up, and we'll see you there too. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at aow40k.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect. On Facebook, just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.